This evening's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, and can be found on page 17 of the Pew Bibles. Chapter 18 in Genesis, page 17. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three shears of fine flour, knead it, and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah, who was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind them, Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down on Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, 
Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of the forty, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. If only thirty can be found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only twenty can be found there? He said, for the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just this once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this really ancient uh, story. Uh, these events that took place a very long time ago. I pray you will help us this evening to see their amazing relevance to us. Uh, May we understand more of Abraham and his faith and uh, more of you and how you want to relate with us. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, what do you think it would be like uh, if God came round for tea? Imagine there was a knock at the door, uh, and you open it up, and there stands Jesus, uh, and he's coming to eat with you. What do you think that would be like? Well, that's exactly what happens in this chapter of the Bible. Uh, Our title this evening is The Experience uh, of Faith. On these uh, Sunday nights, we're exploring uh, Abraham's faith as it uh, grows, in fact, uh, over the years. And and as he goes through many of life's ups and downs and has long periods uh, of waiting uh, and life is hard. But tonight we're going to see his growing personal relationship uh, with God as he shares this sort of meal and conversation uh, with him. 
In my first week at uh, university, the, um, the Christian Union invited us uh, to a freshers' free lunch. Uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time, uh, but I thought, oh, there you go, free lunch. I'll have a bit of that. Um, it was baked potatoes, I can remember. And um, as we were sort of eating away uh, in, the, in the old library, it was, um, a couple of second years gave their stories of how they came to be followers of Jesus. And the one thing I can remember, in fact, the only thing I can remember about what they said was they described their faith as a relationship with God, a personal uh, relationship. And when I heard them say that, I thought, that is really strange. I've never thought of it in those terms. I have absolutely no experience uh, of what it means to have a relationship with God. I wonder, what do you think about this idea that being a Christian is about having a personal relationship with God? The God who made us and made uh, the universe. Perhaps you can empathise with how I felt as a new fresher uh, all those um, years ago. Uh, You've no experience yet of a personal relationship with God. Maybe the idea just sounds strange. That's what I thought. Well, I hope if that's the case, this this passage, this this, uh, this recording of what happened to Abraham will, will give you a little window into what it might be like. And I hope that it is appealing to you. Or maybe you um, can look back to a time when you could say you had a relationship with God, but if you're honest, it seems a bit distant uh, now. Maybe you can empathise with Ollie's story, got a church background, and yet uh, maybe at the moment uh, a living relationship with God is not how you would describe things. If that's the case, I hope again this will uh, be inspiring, this chapter for you. Or maybe you would say a personal relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. Well, if so, then I hope Abraham will spur you on uh, to want to get to know God better, particularly in the ups uh, and the downs. I came across this reference to Abraham uh, in another part of the Bible. It's Isaiah. Uh, He writes this of Abraham. It's quite interesting. He says, But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. God calls Abraham his friend friend. It's a really amazing description for the almighty creator to to describe uh, of a person. And we're going to see a little bit about how this worked out in practice, this amazing relationship between God uh, and Abraham. Now before we dive in, let's just uh, remember where we are in the story of the Bible and in Abraham's life story. Uh, At the beginning of the Bible we see that God created human beings to have a relationship with him Uh, And yet the first humans rejected him. Uh, And so God, in his judgment, sent them away from his presence. Uh, And you see this sort of ever-worsening cycle of uh, sin uh, and God's judgment on it in the early chapters of Genesis. But then there's this great turning point. Uh, God intervenes uh, in history uh, by coming and revealing himself to this man, Abraham, this, this wondering Uh, nomad uh, in the Middle East, Abraham. And it's a turning point. And he gives him these amazing promises. Do you remember those three promises? He promises that through Abraham, he will create a new people uh, that will be God's people. Uh, He will give Abraham's descendants a place, the land of Canaan, uh, that will be their own. And he will greatly bless Abraham. Abraham will have this great name, but also through Abraham, other people will be blessed. And in fact, every nation on earth will ultimately be blessed through this one man. God is 
changing the course of history. This is a real turning point, uh, this man Abraham. But as we go through Abraham's story, the progress is rather slow. By now, in chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah, 25 years later, still do not have a child of their own. They're still living in tents. Uh, They haven't yet got permanent homes in the land of Canaan. And although Abraham has been getting richer, and although he's been blessing other people along the way, it's all pretty small scale. But there are hints uh, that things really are going to take off. In the last chapter, in chapter 17, God has changed Abraham's name. So he was Abram, uh, and he's now Abraham, which means father uh, of many. But we're still waiting for those many uh, to come. But as this period of waiting has been going on, this 25 years, Abraham has been growing in his faith. uh, And we see today in particular, he's growing in his relationship uh, with God. God is his friend. And we're going to see in chapter 18 how God shows that, how God demonstrates that he really is uh, Abraham's friend. We're going to see it in three ways that God acts uh, as a friend to him. Firstly, we're going to see that God comes to dinner uh, with him. Then we're going to see that God reassures Abraham of his promises. Uh, and then we're going to see that, that, that God invites this open conversation uh, with Abraham. He lets him into his plans and he invites Abraham to have a debate with him uh, about it. That's the kind of thing you do with friends. So three amazing ways that God shows that he's a friend to Abraham. Let's have a look at um, verse 1. God comes to dinner. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. Well, the narrator tells us it's the Lord. Uh, It's going to take Abraham a little while before he realises the true identity of these mysterious guests. Abraham is sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looks up and he sees three men uh, standing there. It's the middle of the day. Uh, Abraham would have finished his morning's work. Uh, He's sitting in the shade. Uh, It's a hot uh, Middle Eastern day. Maybe he's about to have his siesta. Uh, Maybe he'd already started to sort of nod off uh, because he didn't see these three men until they were really near. Or maybe they appear just suddenly because actually there's more to them than initially meets the eye. Well, Abraham then behaves uh, like the perfect uh, Middle Eastern host. In the next few verses, there's a lot of hurrying about uh, as Abraham, he runs, he runs to these men, he bows down, and then he kind of pleads with them for the privilege and the pleasure uh, of giving hospitality. It's clear in verse 3 that one of these three men is the leader. Uh, He calls him my Lord, interestingly. And uh, in verse 4, he offers this leader and the others uh, Just the kind of thing that weary travellers in a hot country would want. Water, their feet washing, and some shade. Uh, And then in verse 5, he says, Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed, and then you can go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham offers food. Uh, Literally in the original, he offers them a little piece of bread, a morsel Uh, of bread. He's kind of behaving like the perfect host. He knows that if he offers them a great big meal, they might feel awkward. Uh, So he offers them a little bite to eat. Uh, They accept. And then he rushes off and he prepares for them an amazing feast 
Uh, there's lots of hurrying around as he gets everyone uh, to work. Verse 6, uh, three sears of fine flour. That's around about eight litres worth of flour. A lot of bread uh, and cake is going to be made from that. And then he kills a male calf, which again is rather extravagant uh, just for three men. Uh, you could uh, easily have provided uh, a meal with much less. So this is extravagant uh, hospitality uh, is lavished on them. Look at verse 8. He brought them curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set these before them and while they ate he stood near them under the tree. Well he gives them curds of milk. Apparently um, this still happens today if you were to go and visit some Bedouin. Uh, This is exactly the kind of thing they would give you. Some yogurt uh, and some meat and then they would stand by and watch Uh, while you eat. He's behaving like the perfect Middle Eastern host. In fact, it's so perfect. He's giving fine flour. Uh, He's giving a really good, uh, perfect calf. He's offering these visitors just the kind of thing that would later be offered to God uh, in the temple. So although he doesn't yet probably realise it, he's treating them as if they are God, as if they are divine. If this is a test... Uh, a secret test of Abraham's hospitality. He passes it with flying colours. Many years later, the writer to Hebrews says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, for by doing so some have entertained angels without knowing it. Well, of course, it's referring, I think, to this incident uh, when Abraham shows this amazing hospitality. And in fact, as chapter 19 uh, will show, uh, there are angels here. Uh, and there's something, isn't there, for us uh, to imitate uh, in Abraham's amazing hospitality. And as he hosts these mysterious guests, he is in fact sharing this amazing privilege of having God come to eat with him. Now there's a good deal of mystery, I think, in these uh, verses. The exact identity of these three men, well one is clearly the leader, and as this leader speaks, it's clearly... God speaking, uh, either God uh, in some human form himself, uh, which occasionally happens in the Old Testament, a kind of, almost like a kind of prefiguring of when God would appear uh, as Jesus, as a man. Uh, or it may be a chief angel, but then the other two in chapter 19 are clearly uh, revealed as uh, angels. Whatever exactly is going on, God is coming uh, to dinner uh, with Abraham. He's showing his friendship by coming and eating with him. Now that may seem like something that God would never do with us. Uh, As I asked that question at the beginning, it seems just ridiculous. And yet, that's not actually true. Because this very evening, we are going to share in the Lord's Supper. And we are going to share in what is also called Holy Communion. The central Christian ritual, if I could put it like that, that Jesus has given us is a meal, a meal that we share with him, a meal that remembers his death for us, that recalls that last supper with him, a meal that in which we share fellowship with him today. We don't just look back, uh, we also look up and eat by faith, trusting in him today. And we also look forward to his coming again, uh, because heaven is described as a banquet, uh, a feast, This is a little tiny meal that tells us what it will be like uh, in heaven. 
So we too, if we have faith in God like Abraham, we may enjoy this kind of close fellowship that the supper that we're going to share in uh, points us to. This is what God wants to have with us. Well, that's the first way that God shows his friendship by coming and having a meal with Abraham. But there's more, because once the meal's over, uh, God begins this conversation. And this is the second thing. God assures Abraham of his promises. Uh, We're down now at verse 9. So over uh, on page 18. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. Uh, There, uh, in the tent, he says. So although this message is for Abraham, uh, in fact, it's really for Sarah, because we know from chapter 17, uh, if you've done the reading in between, uh, that Abraham has already heard the news uh, that, he is now, that God is now going to reveal again. But in that culture, you would probably expect the men to sit around eating uh, and the woman to be in the tent, uh, which is what's happening. But actually, this woman is not working away. Uh, she's standing in the entrance of the tent, uh, listening uh, to what is going on. It says there, uh, as the Lord gives the news, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. So if you imagine this person is sitting with Abraham and behind his back is a tent and inside near the entrance uh, is Sarah uh, listening uh, quietly to what is going on. And it's now starting to become clear, isn't it, that these are not just any ordinary travellers. For a start, they've got this amazing message, but also they know Sarah's name, uh, which is unusual. And it's only just been changed to Sarah Uh, in chapter 17 and we've got this amazing uh, promise uh, in verse uh, 10 Sarah will have a son and it is amazing because look at at verse 11 Uh, they were already old Abraham and Sarah and Sarah was past the age uh, of childbearing she's past the menopause she's never been able to have children and now it is definitely too late So, verse uh, 12, uh, it's clear uh, that what is in store here is completely miraculous. Sarah's response, of course, shows it. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? She laughs. In the original, she laughs in her inner parts. She's laughing inside her thoughts rather than laughing uh, out loud. Why does she laugh? Well, it's not the sort of, laugh of scorn or mockery I don't think it's that certainly the way God responds means it can't be that it's the laugh of hopelessness she's suffered a life long of disappointment uh, and now she can't have children definitely uh, now at this stage this news is quite unbelievable and so actually like Abraham in chapter 17 she also laughs and interestingly uh, that is what the name of her son is going to be called Isaac means something like he laughs Uh, That's the name of this miracle uh, boy. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh well in verse 13 God is 
almost expressing surprise at her laughing. Because here we start to see now his real identity is very clear. He knows that she laughed, even though she laughed in her inner thoughts uh, behind him, inside the tent, and yet he knew uh, exactly uh, what she did. It's not, I don't think she's sort of giving a barefaced lie, which is, I didn't laugh. She, she probably didn't laugh out loud, but he knew that inside her head she was uh, laughing. And so we get, don't we, this amazing you know, re- revelation of God, don't we? He, he knows everything. And in verse 14, uh, he can do everything. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He can do anything he wants or plans to do. Nothing is too hard for him. Well, God is rather gentle, I think, with Sarah's unbelief and with her lying. Uh, she's got good reasons, hasn't she, not to believe this after all of her long life up to this point. And so God reassures her. He has promised it will uh, happen. God assures Sarah and Abraham of his promises. That's the second way he shows uh, his friendship uh, to them. Now, although our circumstances are, of course, quite different from theirs, there are some great encouragements for us, too, in our relationship with God. For a start, we are reminded that God knows everything, his omniscience, as the technical term is, and that God is able to do anything he plans to do, his omnipotence. Those things about God are amazing. And although there's a lot of mystery in this passage and how God sort of appears in these sort of human, in this human form and how God kind of speaks later on as if, he, as if he's going to go and check out what's going on in Sodom, it's quite clear that actually he really knows everything. He really can do all that he plans uh, to do uh, and that is a great encouragement uh, for us isn't it and it means second doesn't it that we can be sure that he will keep his promises he is able to he will be faithful to his promises he will do what he says uh, he will do we too have amazing promises that God has has given to us we can read of them in all of the bible and we can have assurance from many many years of God doing what he says, that he will do it uh, for us. We've got many more reasons than Abraham and Sarah. Most of all, as we come to share in the Lord's Supper tonight, we are remembering the chief reason uh, that we know he keeps his promises. The promise to Abraham was ultimately fulfilled when Jesus came uh, and when Jesus died on the cross. That's the proof that he loves us. That's the proof that he is now going to be able to save people from every nation. We can look back to the cross uh, and know God always keeps his word. And so as we eat and drink the bread and the wine a little while later, it is, that, it is a special way that God has given for us to be reminded that he does do what he says. And as we take it tonight, uh, let's remember that uh, and delight uh, in what he has done. Like Abraham, we may have to go through hard times. Abraham had to go for 25 years up until this point. That's a long time ago. That's 1990. Uh, He's been waiting since 1990 for this uh, to happen. There'll be times when it looks like God's forgotten. There'll be times when it looks like God's not in control. But we have some firm facts to hold on to. 
often we live and we're sort of governed and swayed by our feelings, aren't we? How we feel, whether God feels near to us uh, or not. But I think this passage reminds us uh, that we are better off thinking about the facts, what God has said in the Bible, what God has done uh, in Jesus and all through history. If we put the facts first, uh, then the feelings ultimately uh, follow. Well, that's the second way that God shows his friendship uh, to Abraham. He reassures him uh, and us of his promises to us. And then finally, God allows this open conversation about his plans. There's another thing that God wants to talk to Abraham about that day. He wants to talk to him about the terrible subject of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. It's being the good host again. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So he's saying, isn't he, Abraham is, is his friend. Uh, Abraham is uh, this man that he has chosen uh, to start to put the world uh, to rights. And as, as you read that, you can't, you can't help thinking, can't you, of another time when God called uh, his disciples, uh, his friends. Think of it, the Last Supper Uh, when Jesus revealed his plans to them and said, I'm doing this because you are my friends. Well, here it is with Abraham. He has this amazing privilege of God revealing his plans to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's doing it to invite a conversation with Abraham, uh, to, to bring Abraham into the situation, which is really quite remarkable. Because look what... uh, happens as a result. Lord, The Lord said, verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but the Lord remained, but Abraham remained standing uh, before the Lord. So there it is. God has revealed the situation to Abraham uh, and uh, a conversation uh, is Uh, opened up. Well there's quite a lot uh, in these uh, verses uh, from here on in but we can see can't we uh, for one thing that this is uh, a very solemn reminder uh, that God is altogether righteous uh, and that he does punish sin. He may patiently delay it but the one one day will come uh, when he will uh, punish wrong and it's clearly uh, a terrible thing and Abraham is clearly distressed uh, about the thought of it. Uh, He's already acquainted with Sodom. In chapter 14, he rescued the king of Sodom in battle, uh, and Abraham's nephew, Lot, is living there. And I think it's because of these things that Abraham is concerned that there could be righteous people in this city uh, who could be destroyed. And he's concerned, and he, he, he brings before God God's own justice, his own character, and he pleads with God on the basis of God's character. It's a wonderful model, actually, of prayer, uh, appealing to God on the basis of what God has promised about uh, himself. It reminds you, doesn't it, of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Abraham is distressed, looking down over Sodom, 
that God will do right. He's distressed over the righteous in the city. And so he pleads for it six times, uh, which is amazing, really. Six times he asks if God will spare it for the sake uh, of the righteous people there. God invited this conversation. God allows Abraham to pray, and he responds to it. Amazing, isn't it? God allows this amazing debate uh, to go on uh, between him and Abraham. It's a sure sign that Abraham is his friend. Uh, As you go down, uh, you see this uh, astonishing discussion between the Almighty God uh, and Abraham. As you go down, it's also quite striking that Abraham gets a bit more timid uh, as he brings a request again. Uh, And it looks, doesn't it, as if there comes a point in time when God's answers get more sort of cool. And after, when it comes to 10 people, uh, down uh, in uh, verse 32, uh, it comes to the point where Abraham recognises that it's no longer comfortable for him to keep asking. And so the question is, will there be 10 righteous people left uh, in this city? Well, chapter 19 shows that, in fact, there's only one righteous person left and that is Lot and so the angels go and bring him out uh, and allow him to bring his family with him uh, before bringing this terrible judgment on the city this terrible judgment that is uh, a little sign and reminder uh, of the final uh, judgment to come well what can we learn uh, from this well I think again two things Uh, first it is a reminder isn't it that God is just Uh, Abraham is pleading, isn't he? Surely uh, that God will be the righteous one uh, and will uh, do the right thing uh, and and rightly be merciful uh, when it is the right time uh, for that to happen. It's a reminder to us, isn't it? As well as telling people of the wonderful uh, gospel of God's grace and forgiveness, uh, there is also a judgment uh, that we need to be warned of. But the other amazing thing, I think, from this section is the way God allows Abraham to pray. The way he invites him into this uh, prayer. And that this is, in fact, God's chosen way of working. Uh, That he allows his friends to pray. uh, And it actually, he uses it in working through his plans. This open conversation. Well, three amazing things that we see. uh, How God shows himself to be a friend. He comes round for dinner. Uh, He reassures uh, of his promises uh, and he allows this open conversation uh, about his plans. Isn't it an amazing picture of friendship with God? This is the experience of faith uh, that God wants us to have. We're not the great father of many like Abraham and yet we may experience faith like this. God has provided us with all the ingredients for this friendship to be enjoyed, even in dry times. We have a meal, the Lord's Supper. We have words of promise in the Bible, and we have the privilege of prayer and open conversation with him. I think so often our problem is that we kind of view these things as chores, as sort of things that we have to do. Uh, Coming to church, a chore. Making time for personal prayer and Bible reading, it seems like a chore, doesn't it? But if we think of these things not as chores, but rather as growing a relationship, uh, then it can completely uh, transform them uh, for our experience. If we think of them as chores, then as soon as something else better comes along, 
uh, we're going to go off uh, and do that. But if this is a real relationship with God, and as we grow in it through these three means, it will survive all the ups and the downs, as it did with Abraham. Well, let's be conscious of all of this as we come to take the bread and the wine uh, and feed on him by faith in our hearts tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace that you want to have a relationship with us and that we can call you the Lord of all the earth, our friend. May we be those um, who respond in faith. May we be those who take the bread and the wine in faith and so strengthen our relationship with you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.